are going to enjoy that. We'll probably watch something. Um, I don't know, but I don't think, so, um, I'm not sure what Penny's going to do. I don't think VeggieTales did a Sodom anymore. Um, but, uh, so, my daughter's here, so if anybody, <laughs> I'm doing it with my family too, if it bothers you. Um, but so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 18, and it breaks up into two parts. There's this part in the beginning where, um, where these visitors show up. It's three people. It's the presence of God in some form. Some people think it's the Trinity. Some people think that it's just kind of messengers of God, and God is, God's presence is there with them. We're not really sure. Uh, but what we do know is that the, the, this is God. God is having a conversation with God. God is showing up um, in Abraham and Sarah's life to talk to them some more. Um, about these promises he's made, and then just to really just talk, which is kind of cool, that God just sort of sits with Abraham. You see this thing in Genesis where God is so relational. Like, he just, he just wants to encounter people. Like, he just walks through the garden and is like, hey, what's up? Right? Like, that's, that's the God um, that we get to know about in Genesis. And so that's, that's what we're going to read about. We're going to start off with this section where they give this promise, and then Sarah's kind of a punk about it, and God calls her out. And then we're going to jump into... Um, this really interesting thing in Scripture that you kind of don't expect. So we'll start off in uh, the first verses in 18, chapter 18, verse 1. If you're a, a read-along person, if you're not, it'll come up on the screen. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord... Oh, I thought that was going to happen. If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three siyas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Okay, pause button, all right? So, because I know you guys were all dialed in from sentence one, right? Especially over here. So, here's what's going on. So, these guys have showed up. God has shown up in his presence. And, and basically what's happening is Abraham is demonstrating for us how you should treat visitors. This is one of those things, if you ever watch a show, if you ever watch a television show that's like a series, and you're like, why did this happen here? And then you find out three episodes later why it happened. You know what I mean? They kind of like, it's the teaser, and they build into it. This is going to be really important next week, okay? It's not as kind of crucial to what we're looking at. We're kind of like, big deal, he had lunch for a bunch of guys. But it's really crucial when you look at next week, because this group is also going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the way that Abraham receives them is really different in the way that the people at Sodom and Gomorrah are seeing. It's an understatement of sorts, right? But, uh, but it's really important because Abraham, again, stands as this righteous person. Abraham stands as this person who realizes, how do you treat the presence of God? And how do you treat just people? How do you treat what is the right way to walk? And that's important because it, it, it's crucial in the way that God chooses to relate to Abraham. Is that Abraham, Abraham does, things, does the right thing. And, and, he, and he seeks to, to walk in the right way. He's not perfect, and we see those things along the way. But, but that's what God's laying out as opposed to what you're going to see in chapter 19. So then we pick up in uh, verse 9, and it said, they say, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. He said, there, in the tent. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Now, you can see this, right? Like, you can see that, like, she didn't want to go in. She's kind of, for whatever reason, 
she doesn't want to go out there. It doesn't seem like she wasn't allowed. They were asking about her. So, but she doesn't want to go out there. And so Sarah's just kind of eavesdropping, right? She's got the cup, the old school cup up against the, the tent, I guess. Um, and so, so she's listening in. So she's listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old. Yeah, like 90s, okay? And Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old. What a great description of a couple. Have you ever seen I heard say that about themselves? I'm worn out and my husband's old. Will I now have this pleasure? And I don't even know if that's tongue in cheek. And she's like, great, I'm going to have a kid in my 90s, right? Like, how tired am I going to be? Or if she's just more like, I'm old and you don't have kids when you're old, right? Like, this isn't going to happen. I'm looking at me. I'm looking at Abraham. I still think he's a stud. But no, this is not how this works, right? And so she's thinking, and she laughs, right? And, and that's what she does. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Can you hear the record stopping, right? Because <laughs> she's listening, right? She's like, okay, I'm not going to, right? He heard me, right? Like she's nervous. She's kind of taken aback. And this is what God says. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And, and here's, here's what's implied in that question. It's either Sarah thinks that the answer is yes, or Sarah's forgotten that the answer is no. Sarah's not engaged enough with God to, to, to know that that's the question that you ask when you wonder if something can happen. Sarah, Sarah's gotten separated in some way, and you see it in the next part of the passage, right? It says, Sarah... Oh, um, he says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And let's look in verse 15. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. And that shows you this distance between Sarah and God, right? Not only does she not believe him, not only has she forgotten that nothing is too hard for him, but she's afraid of him. And because she's afraid, she lies. Doesn't that make you think about the garden? Doesn't it take you back to Adam and Eve when they're covering themselves? She's hiding behind the tent. She's afraid. And she's forgotten and she's distanced herself from God. And so she lies and she says, I did not laugh. Like, that's going to help her at all. And she's just reaching for anything. And he says, yeah, yeah, you did. You, you did laugh, Sarah. I know you. I know you. And, 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 and hiding from me is silly. And, and trying to create this distance is silly. And, and I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about um, all these promises that, that you get or, or these things that you, that you feel like are from God and that you would hope would happen. And, and what happens to me when I see those things in front of me and I feel like I can't do anything about them? You know what I'm talking about? Like you see these things that you really just want. I don't know if they're promises from God or just things that are good things that you want in your heart. Like one of the things for me, probably once every couple of months, and it's not because of y'all, but probably once every couple of months uh, on Sunday nights when I'm driving home, I think to myself, is it really possible for a group of students to be so transformed that they change their schools, their homes, and their communities. Is it really even possible? And is it going to happen because we had a pool party? Like, that's what I think sometimes. Like, sometimes I really do. And I think to myself, like, what are we doing? And I'm like Sarah, right? I'm like, I've got, I've got this is what I got. I got pool noodles and pretzels. What, how is this going to work, God? Right? And, and I think that to myself. And, and I get frustrated, right? I'm not a laugher at those things. You know, like sometimes you chuckle at that, but I get more frustrated, right? You kind of get mad. And, and that's probably what I do. I thought about it again for me. Um, we're, one of the things we feel like God is telling us is that this is our place, that Marriott is our home. And we don't own a home here. We own a home a, a little bit away from here. And so in order for us to really build our home here, we feel like we need to sell that house. And I feel totally ill-equipped 
to fix up or I am no Jerry Foyfer. Okay, I don't know how to do this. I've hired him, but I'm no Jerry Foyfer. Like, I don't know how to fix a house. I don't know how to sell a house. I don't know how to guarantee that our house will be sold. And so when I try to think about it, instead of asking myself, is anything too hard for God, what I do is I get mad. And I get frustrated. And I start to say, well, everybody else has this, and I don't have that. And if I had this, then we could do it. And, and if we had this, or if we had this amount of time, or if we had this amount of stuff, and I start to blame, and I just get mad. So I don't know what you do with those things. But, but there's a question on the beginning of the outline today. I'm not a big outline guy. You guys know that. Um, so I try as hard as I can to come up with a good outline. I'm not sure if today is one. But on the front of it, I really had this question that I wanted to ask you guys, and I thought was the best way to do it. So I don't know. You don't have to write it down. Um, but just think about this and say, what is your answer? What do you want to see changed that you feel helpless to affect? What do you want to see changed but you feel helpless to affect? What is your Sarah thing? What is it? Is it, is it your marriage? Is it you look at your marriage and you think it's never going to get any better and the cards I've been dealt are what they are and she's never going to change and I'm never going to change and this is just going to be bad until it ends? Is it, is it, is it something with your kids? I know a lot of times you see that with your kids. There's this thing going on in your kid's life and they're depressed or, or they're not making good grades or, or they're struggling to find their place here or they don't know where they belong and there's all these things and you look at that and you think, how do I help them? Because every time you try to help them, it gets worse. Is it your parents? Is it that they don't understand you and you don't know if they're ever going to understand you and they're weird and gross and whatever and it's never going to get any better? Like, like, what is it? Is it you're single and you feel like you're never going to get married? Is it you're trying, are you Sarah? Are you trying to have kids and you feel like it's never going to happen and you just feel helpless? What is the thing that you have distanced yourself from God on and you've forgotten that God can do anything? What is that? What is that? I want you to hold on to that. We'll talk about that some at the end, but that's what happens in the first part of this. And so we go on. And, um, and we'll pick up here in verse 16. And this is where it gets really weird for people when we try to think about like God is only being sort of one way all the time. Um, God's really relational again in this. And so we pick up in uh, uh, verse 16, and this is what happens. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked, walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, and this is, this is kind of funky because God's just sort of talking to God's self, right? Like within the Trinity, this is part of why people believe this is kind of a Trinitarian thing, is that God's just sort of talking to God's self here and having a conversation with God. And this is what God said. He's kind of asking himself a question. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And what God is saying is, do I want, to in, do I, do I want Abraham engaged on what I'm about to do? It, it's not about this thing over here. It's not about his family or whatever. But, but, but it is something that's important to me. And so should I hide it from him because he may screw it up? Should I hide it from him because I don't know how he's going to react? What Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? But then this is why he decides not to. Spoiler alert. He's going to decide not to. And this is why. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he'll direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. He says, basically, God says to himself this, I believe in Abraham. (laughs) I picked him. I think that if I share this with him, he'll do the right thing because Abraham is the kind of guy who does the right thing. 
He has grown. He is becoming this man who I'm calling him to be. And so I believe in him. So here's what I'm going to do. And it's so funny how God does it, right? Like, so, so, so keep going here. And this, so this is what God does. So, Kaylee, come here. I'm going to do it again. I did this in the 9 o'clock service. Hopefully I'll do it better this time. So Kaylee, I'm doing this with Kaylee because she's kind of new here. So Kaylee, and I'm staying up here because she's kind of taller than me. And so Kaylee, it's like Kaylee and I are standing around. So, and I go like this. I say, so I'm thinking I'm going to have the pool party even if it's a 90% chance of rain tonight. And then he just looks, right? Like, like, it's like, why did, if, like, if I want Kaylee to say something, Kaylee's probably thinking, like, well, do you want my opinion on that? I don't know. I'm kind of new to this. What should I do? What should I say? But God doesn't do any of that, right? Like, he just sort of stands there and says, so, go ahead. Go back to the verse. Go back to the verse. He says, so, the, he says, the outcry, he just says this aloud in front of Abraham. He says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So here's what God does. He just brings up the topic. And sometimes in our life, God just brings up a topic. Sometimes it is something really, really personal to you, and sometimes it's a little bit removed. Sometimes God just says, so, do you know that, do you know that terrible, terrible things are happening to kids and they're being sold into slavery? And you're invited into that conversation. Sometimes God says, so, do you see this need in our community? And you're invited into the conversation. And you kind of wish that God would be like, okay. And so, Ward, here's what I want you to do. Step one, step two, step three. Right? But he doesn't do that. He just sort of opens it up because God is intensely relational. And so here's what God does. God invites Abraham into a conversation by just giving him information and seeing what he will do with it. Every single one of us wrote down something, didn't we? Every single one of us says, here's something that I would love to see change, but I don't feel like I have the ability to do it. And I don't think, I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but Abraham, I don't think, was like, oh, stop everything in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like he wasn't thinking, like, I feel good about this. But God kind of puts this thing out to him. He says, here's this broken thing. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to do about it, Abraham. And so God invites Abraham into a conversation by giving him information and seeing what he will do with it. So let's keep going. Let's see what happens. Go ahead. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And here is the crazy part, the part that should get him killed, right? Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in this city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And here's what Abraham is doing. Okay, so, so you just don't think that he's just sort of engaged in a philosophical discussion. And he's not just trying to, like, bring God's price down on the car, right? That's not what he's doing either. We kind of take it like that. We're like, oh, they were just kind of bartering around. And wasn't that fun? That's not what he's doing. Abraham's kind of asking a broader question, right? Because, and Abraham's, Abraham's broader question is this. Abraham wants to know if people can have an impact on a broken world. That's his question. That's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, so, so here's this place, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's completely broken. But what if 50 people chose differently? 
Would it make a difference? And he's partly probably asking for Sodom and Gomorrah because his nephew's there, because it's near him. I'm sure he knows people from there. And there's some sort of like internal investment there. But there's also a deeper investment. And the investment in it is this. Abraham has been told by God, you're going to go somewhere. to a, You're going to be an alien in a place that is not your own. So that means there are going to be lots of people there. And they're probably not going to know me. And they're probably not going to act like I want them to act. And you're going to be planted in the middle of them. So some of what Abraham wants to know is, is my life going to matter when everything around me starts breaking down? Am I going to be able to do anything about it? Is the fact that I'm even here going to matter when things around me start breaking down? And that's the fear that we have a lot of times, right? Like when everything starts to fall apart, when my family starts to fall apart, when I feel like I can't do anything about it, right? When I feel like that I have no role to play and everything that I do seems to mess stuff up more, when my marriage is falling apart, when I don't know how to talk to my parents anymore and they don't understand me and all we do is fight, when I don't know where I'm supposed to go when it comes to the issues that my friends are facing in their life and how do I treat them and what do I do about that or, or at work when things start breaking down at work and I'm one person amidst all these people that are doing terrible things. Am I going to matter at all? Am I going to be able to make an impact on a broken world. And that's where you start to have this sort of negotiation process almost between the two of them. So let's read through it. It's really interesting. And so the Lord says, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And it's so funny, again, because God doesn't say, let's just go on down to 10, right? Like he just, he kind of just leaves it open. Yeah, sure. Okay, 50. And he wants to see Abraham, how much do you trust me? How much do you trust our relationship? How far do you think I'm willing to go for you? Abraham spoke up again. He says, now I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes. Always a politician, Abraham. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I won't do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? You can tell he's starting to get a little nervous, so he's flipping it by 10 instead of five now. He answered, I will, do it. I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me just speak once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Hayden to, to Jonathan, stand up. He said that. He said, that's enough. That'll stop me from destroying a city of people that do terrible, miserable, horrible things to each other and, and, and to God. He said, that's enough. God got all the way there. Y'all can sit down. And what's funny is that God doesn't really end the conversation, right? It's Abraham. Like, Abraham finally kind of reaches his limit of pushing, right? Like, we don't know. What if he had said five? What if he had said two? What if he had said one? We, we don't know. The, the point of it all, like, why, why, why is this in there? I don't know if you guys ever do that when you read the Bible, but it's a good question to ask. Like, why this thing? Because everything's not in there. We don't get, we don't get like, Abraham went to the bathroom, right? Like, we don't get everything. We only get, we get these highlight moments. And so what is it that God's trying to say when he says, I'm going to keep this around for thousands of years so that people can see this conversation between myself and Abraham. And this is what I think God's trying to communicate to us, is that we can change our world if we are willing to engage. 
is that we can change the outcomes of a broken world if we are willing to engage. If we're willing to put down all, these, all our own insecurities, if we're willing to quit just looking at ourselves and remember that God can do anything, nothing is impossible with Him. And step in to the brokenness that we can change our world if we're willing to engage. And, and, and the funny thing is, like, we do that anyway. Right? Like, we all know that we do that. You, anytime you engage something, you change it. Right? Like, anytime you do it, the problem is most of the time we engage things poorly. Right? Like, anytime I go into conversation with Jane, I can change things. The problem is most of the time I go in poorly. Right? And, and I end up saying things, and I'm like, oh, no, I did change that, and I changed it for the worse. And how did we, she's not looking me in the eye right now. You know, it's true. I did that. I did it yesterday. I did that, and I changed it for the worse. And, and we do that. Like, so we know that when we engage, we have an impact. You've done that with your kids. You've done that with your parents. You ever thought, like, this is the perfect way to have a conversation with my parents, and it blows up? It's not the perfect way to have the conversation. It's a problem. You ever done that with your kids? You ever done that with your spouse? You ever done that with your coworkers? Right? We know that when we engage things, we have an impact. But God wants us to know that he made us that way and that we can actually change the world if we are willing to engage. And if we, will, if we are willing to engage things well, we can actually change the outcomes of a broken world for the better. That God didn't just spin this earth back in the beginning and say, this is what you get. You've got to deal with it. That God looked at me and he looked at Jane and he looked at all of you guys and he looked at all of us. And he said, if you will engage the brokenness here, I will use you to impact it more than you could imagine. I'll let you take me from 50 to 10, and I, would have, I may have let you take me even further and would have preserved a whole city. We never would have had the next chapter. In the book of Genesis, God was willing to engage that. And we can talk about what you know, God knew or what God didn't know, but what we know is that God's not a liar. And so if he could have found 10, he wouldn't have destroyed the city, would he? He wouldn't have. And it was Abraham that started that engagement. And God opened it up and he said, what's he going to do with this? What is he going to do? Is he going to engage well? And I think that's God's question for you. Whatever you wrote down on that piece of paper, whatever you sort of downloaded into your own head and you said, that's the thing. That's the thing that I feel like I can't do anything about. That's the thing right now in my life I can't do anything about. I think God is bringing that up in your heart. He's bringing that up in your mind. He's putting that on that piece of paper because what he wants you to know is if you engage this well, you can't imagine what could happen. If you will engage this well, I'm bringing up the topic, God says, and I know you don't want to talk about it, and I know you don't want to deal with the fact that you feel helpless, and I know you're like Sarah, and you just want to laugh it off, or you just want to get mad about it, or whatever, but if you will engage me on this well, you have no idea what I might do for you. And I think that's God's call, and so it begs the question, how do we engage well? It really begs the question, and, and, and these, these, these three things are, are just things, as I was praying through, I was talking with Jane about it, I said, I said what do people want to know? Do they want to know that they can impact and make a change? And she, know, she said, no, they want to know how. What, what people really want to know is how can I engage well? And so I was, I was looking through this about Abraham, and what I found is there's, there's, kinda, there, there's these three things. They're not the only things that help you engage well, but these are three ways to begin to engage well. These are just three ways, whatever's going on on that paper for you, that that if you engaged it in these ways, I think you would engage it well. And the first is people who engage things well, engage things with integrity. 
Like the reason that Abraham could talk to God about that in the first place was that God looked at him and he said, you're going to do well with this. Like you're a guy who does right things. You're a guy who seeks righteousness. You're a guy who trusts me and believes in me. And everything you do kind of plays out of this. Right? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God said, Abraham, you believe in me and you live out of that. And so you deal with people in a way that, that treats them with integrity. And, and we engage well when we engage with integrity, and we engage poorly when we don't. And, and here's what I mean. Maybe the reason that you're not having a good impact when you engage your marriage is because you're not engaging it with integrity. Maybe the reason that I go in, I go in the wrong way when I go in to try to fix a problem with Jane is because I really want to fix the problem so that I can be right. I really want to fix the problem so that I can win. I really want to fix the problem so I can manipulate her to do what I want her to do. I don't engage it with integrity. I don't look at her and say, I trust God, and God says I should love you with my whole heart and lay down my life for you. So when I engage this situation, I'm going to figure out how do I lay down my life for you. Does that make sense? Maybe the reason that you're struggling to engage with your parents well pick on you. I told you you didn't have to listen, so you can just ignore it. But maybe the reason you can't engage with them well is that when you go to engage them, all you want is what you want. And you don't want to honor them at all. And God said in the scriptures to honor your parents. And you don't go into a situation engaging that pinched a little, didn't it? And you don't go into the situation to engage them that way. And that's why everything goes to crud when you do it. Maybe the reason you can't find a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you can't find somebody to marry is that because you're too busy looking for the right person instead of becoming the right person. And living as a person of integrity and saying, God, how do I become the kind of person that's going to bless somebody someday in a marriage? When we engage with integrity, it changes the level of impact we're able to have. You can see it at work. We could go into all those examples. See it in your community. You can see it with your friends. That when you choose to be a person of integrity, usually the reason we don't choose integrity is, is because we think that it won't work. Is that fair to say? Is because we've been sold a bill of goods that says, well, this is just the way that you do things at our work. And people lie and they, they backbite and they do all these things to each other. And if I live with integrity, I'm going to lose. Right? I, I, was ta- I was talking in the earlier service. There was a guy, he was in that service, who is a really nice guy. And he said, he's single. And he said all his friends told him that the reason um, that he couldn't find a girlfriend is because he's too nice and that he needs to be a jerk. And you laugh, but many of us have heard that, right? And so that's why we don't engage with integrity, because we think that in order to get the right things, we have to do them the wrong way. And what God says to us is that when we engage integrity, our impact is greater. The second is to engage things intimately. And this is kind of a, a weird thing, but, but what I mean by that is... <clears throat> You engage something better when you know about it and you care about it instead of just trying to fix it. Does that make sense? So this is, this is a big deal with parents and kids. So I picked on you guys some. I'm going to pick on your parents now. This is a big deal with parents and kids. When, when I talk to students about um, kind of their issues with their parents, what it, what it ultimately comes back to almost always is I feel like they don't understand me. And here's the truth. You don't understand them. They're crazy. Um, but you are. It's okay. But they are too. Um, it's just a different crazy. Uh, but, but you don't understand them. But part of that is because we don't take the time to understand our kids, do we? Because it takes a long time to understand a 13-year-old girl. I mean, it does. It, it's a long journey. 
to say, before I fix you, I'm going to know and care about you. And as a parent, you get freaked out because you think time is your enemy. If I don't fix this now, it's, I, I, I'm never going to have a chance to fix it, right? If I don't, like you do this from when they're little. You're like, if they don't get potty trained, they're going to wear diapers to the prom, right? We know they're not. We know they're not. But we do that. We get panicked as parents. And instead of seeking to know and care for our kids before we try to fix things, we just run right in and we try to fix things we don't know anything about and we lose a chance to impact them or we only impact them negatively. Abraham knew about Sodom and Gomorrah and he was intimately connected because he knew that somehow God's answers to those questions about their fate were going to be tied to the answers of God's questions about Abraham's faith. And so he was asking and he was bold and he was willing to go through the whole rigmarole of 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 because he cared. And he was looking to know what God was like. And when you seek to know and you seek to care, you engage better. Last thing is this. People who engage well engage in intercession. And it was funny. They all start with I, and I don't like alliteration. But, and James was like, well, why don't you just call it prayer? And I said, well, because I don't, it's not just prayer. It's, it's intercession. And, and what I mean is that Abraham looked at a situation And he said, I can't fix this. I'm going to go talk to the one who can. I'm going to bring in more influence. I'm going to bring in not just godly counsel, God's counsel to this situation. And I'll engage it better when I do that. And and I want to talk about that. I want want to talk about that on on intercession on the God level. But I I think it's also important. I want to talk about it on kind of the, the sort of the more practical level. Sometimes what that means is... Being willing to admit, I can't do this on my own. And, and so sometimes what it means, I was talking to Brandon about this, and he was saying, uh, we were talking about Marietta Work Matters, which is something that God has called him to, uh, to work with uh, business leaders in our community, it, it, just who want to follow Christ. And they, he said it's the closest thing to church um, that he's, he feels like he's ever been a part of. No offense to us, I guess. Um, but I'm just kidding. But, uh, but it's just people using their gifts and working together in, in the business community. Um, uh, to, to engage uh, for the cause of Christ. And so I was asking him about it, and I said, you know, what, um, you know, what was it like getting engaged? Like, how did you get involved with it? And he said, he said what really helped it take off was that he had people around him who he found out, he shared it with people. He shared the vision with people, and he said, here's what I want to do. And they said, oh, this person wants to do that, and this person wants to do that, and this person wants to do that. And all of a sudden, they came together, and they were powerful enough to engage the situation and change it in a positive way because they pulled in together, because he interceded, because he asked other people to come in and help in the situation. Does that make sense? Like, so, so you're like, well, what does that apply to me? So if your marriage is struggling, at some point it's okay to say, I, I can't figure this out. We need, we, need to, we need someone to intercede. There are so many godly marriage counselors out there. If you're struggling with your kid, it's okay to say, I need people that have a little bit more wisdom than me on this to help and to intercede, and we can do this together. Right? Intercession helps you engage in a healthier way. Trying to do it all by yourself, trying to figure out how am I going to do this, eventually leads you to, to be like Sarah or to be like me about my house where you just get frustrated and you just get angry because God doesn't call us to engage these things alone. And then finally, kind of bringing it back up here to this level, everything is possible with God. 
but I don't know how much is possible without it. And when you engage intercession with the living God, is anything impossible? Is anything impossible? And all of a sudden, you can engage anything that's on that piece of paper because nothing's impossible for him. It is impossible for you. If you look at yourself, if I look at myself and I think, I can't do this, I can't take this group of people and, and, and make them into something that could change their community, but God says this. Stand up again, you guys. Stand up. God said, if they'll engage with me, I can change the community. I can turn it. If they'll engage, if they'll engage well, if they will engage in a way where you say, I don't live by the rules of everybody else at this school. I'm going to walk righteously. If they'll engage in a way when they say, when I want to encounter people, I'm going to try to know and care for them before I just try to get my way. If they will engage where they start to ask God to move in their lives and in the lives of people around them. He said, that's enough. That is enough. You guys can sit down. So what could God do if we believed him? What could God do in your marriage if you, if you believed this? If you just decided for a week to believe this? If you just decided that God wanted you to make an impact in your marriage, that God desired for you to make an impact in your family or in your community or, or with your parents, if you just believed it for a week and you said, okay, I'm going to engage it and I'm going to engage it well, God, will you come help me? What could happen? A whole city could have been saved if 10 people had said yes to that. A whole city. What could happen to our city if, 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 if 150, 200 people in this room said yes to that? What could happen in your family if just, just you started to say yes to that? God says it could, it could change things. That you can impact a broken world when you choose to engage. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get Bo to come back up. We're going to get the ministry, to come up, ministry team to come up. So we need to think back to the first thing on that paper. If you're, if you're going to be praying for people, if you can go ahead and come up front. Um, I want you to think back to the thing on that paper, the thing in your head, that question where we said, what's the thing? What's the thing that you would love to see be different, but you feel helpless? And I want you to just... just just today, you don't have to do this forever, or just this week, let's say it that way. I just want you to say, God, I believe that that's you inviting me into a conversation. That's you inviting me in to engage this. You're not just bringing this up to tease me. You're not just bringing this up to make fun of me. You're not just bringing this up to remind me of what I don't have. You're bringing it up because you're saying, I want to engage you on this. I want you to take my hand. I want you to believe my goodness. I don't want you to think that I'm mean or that you have to be afraid of me, but I want you to know that you can walk up to me and you can go from 50 to 10 and I'm not going to walk away from the conversation. What if just for, for this week you said, okay, that's what I'm going to do with that piece of paper. That's what I'm going to do with that thing. What could God do with you? And, and, and if that's something that, that you want, then I'd encourage you to start to engage. I'd encourage you to start to engage. And, and one way to do that is, is, is to ask God to help, to just start talking.
to just say, God, this is what I want. Would you do this? This is what I want. Would you do this? This is what I want. Would you show me how to do this? Am I living as a person of integrity? If I'm not, make me a person of integrity. Am, am I intimately connected? If I'm not, show me. Give me wisdom. Give me care for this situation that I don't have. And then, God, if I need people around me to help, then I, I don't need to do it by myself anymore. I will do that with you. It begins here. We're going to stand up. Y'all stand up. <laughs> and we're going to worship together. And, 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 and here's the kind of physical response moment for you. If you know your thing and, and you're ready to engage God on it, you have that thing, it's on a paper or it's in your head, and you're saying, God, yeah, I'm ready. I can't do it on my own anymore. I can't do it with my strategy. I'm, I'm lost and I'm broken here. I'm weak here. And I need you to make me strong. I need you to make me somebody that could impact this world, this thing, this thing in my family, this thing in my kids. If, if, if you want to do that, we would love to pray for you. We would love to pray with you about it today. That's part of intercession, right? Is looking at the body and saying, I, I need to engage this. I need to get it off the paper and I need to get it out of my head and I need to put it in reality because I need it to be dealt with in reality. And I can't do it on my own. So, so as we pray and as we worship, you're invited forward uh, to pray about those things or anything else you have going on. Um, we're always available to pray for you. So I'll pray for us and then you can respond. God, thank you that you just didn't set the world spinning and say deal with it. And, and God, thank you that you don't just leave us in our own futility, but you say, I'll engage you. I will draw you into what I am doing and I will let you change things. God, you don't force those things on us. I know that. But let our hearts be sensitive today to that calling. God, those things that want to frustrate us, those things that make us want to laugh so we won't cry, those things we feel like we asked for for forever and it didn't work and so we're done, God, help us hear you inviting us in today. Just, just by that moment of, of, of you just putting in our heart, oh yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing that I don't even like to talk about out loud because that's the thing that I'm afraid has already passed me by. God, give us the courage to engage you, God, and to engage you well. In Jesus' name, amen.